Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show as I speak. It is Thursday, June 29th, 2023. Uh, the rain is coming. The rain is coming as I speak. It's raining. It's a blessed event on a couple of fronts. One, the drought. So, the grass and flowers are saying, thank you, rain, thank you. And two, the smoke. Maybe this will dissipate the smoke, and I'll get to go for my beloved walk tonight as opposed to hanging around the house reading about the Robert Kennedy campaign, which I've spent way too much time doing in the last couple of days. Uh, big breaking news before I bring on my distinguished guest that's happening in the world today. Uh, <laughs> the Supreme Court, in its infinite wisdom, decided uh, to uh, annihilate uh, affirmative action uh, as a factor in allowing in running emissions programs in colleges, particularly Harvard College uh, and state-run schools, North Carolina. Uh, so tough luck, black people. Uh, those days are over. Um, wow, I could go on and on about this. Uh, the underlying assumption uh, of the ruling, as I love to point this out, is that we uh, should be promoting the notion of a meritocracy in our country uh, and that uh, we should only be judged by, I don't know what, just like the facts, uh, such as, you know, what your test scores are, how many, how much extracurricular activities you did, et cetera, and so forth. I just love this, man, meritocracy, man. What is this notion of meritocracy? At the same time, the Supreme Court, or at least six justices of the Supreme Court, are proclaiming the need uh, for to have a strict meritocracy when it comes to admissions to colleges. Uh, at least six that I know of, and I may be losing count. Uh, towns, suburbs, municipalities uh, in northern Illinois are begging the Chicago Bears, please, Bears, please, take the money we want to give you to build your stadium here and come play before us. Uh, let me remind you, and I always need to remind people who listen to my show of this because I know most of the people who listen to my show are political geeks and they don't follow sports. My distinguished guest is waiting on deck. I don't even know if he follows sports or at least football. You may not be aware of this. Municipalities will get your going to give the Bears whatever they want. They are terrible. They were the worst team in football last year. They've been among the worst teams in football probably for as long as my distinguished guest has been alive except for one year. When he was a young lad in grammar school, I think, they snuck into the Super Bowl and then proceeded to play one of the worst games ever in the rain. Oh, you couldn't play in the rain. Somehow or other, Peyton Manning had no trouble throwing the ball in the rain. But was it Rex Grossman? I don't know what to do. The ball slipped. Sorry to me to go on that tangent. They're terrible is the point. You should not give them any money. We should have a meritocracy. If you're going to hold universities to the same meritocracy standard uh, that we hold football teams, the Bears would not get one nickel because they're awful. But, of course, there is no meritocracy. It's a who you know autocracy. And so the Bears <laughs> will get a lot of money uh, and, um, you know, 
the uh, Supreme Court took a stand for colorblindness by screwing over black people one more time. Heck of a job, Supreme Court. All right. Without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest who's been very patiently uh, sitting through uh, my, what some would call rant, but I would call a reason and brilliant argument to introduce himself. Take it away, distinguished guest. Well, Ben, it's great to be here. Greg Pratt with the Tribune, as usual. Uh, and, you know, I am the president of the Sexy Rexy fan club. You know, he, <laughs> he had a pea brain. He was not always accurate, but he could throw the ball very, very far. And it didn't get us anywhere, but it was at least entertaining. So did I have it correct? The Bears last were in the Super Bowl in January or maybe it was early February of 2006. Were you in grammar school or high school by then? I was in high school. High school. Wow. He was a young scholar. He was studying his algebra. Uh, he did not watch the Super Bowl that night because there was a test the next day, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. He was up late studying. All right. Let's get that straight. Um. Wow. So much to talk with Greg Pratt about. I talked about this last week. I teased. He, uh, yes, he's an excellent reporter, City Hall reporter for the Chicago Tribune. A very funny uh, tweeter. Uh, he's pretty much the only follower, or the only Twitter feed I follow on a regular basis other than Casey Johnson, because I that's the former Tribune writer who covers the Bulls. I, I look at Casey's Twitter feed about three times a day because uh, I'm a Bulls fanatic. Uh, and uh, But he's now an author. Uh, he wrote a book. Uh, he was so nice as to send me, I think, three chapters, I think it was, uh, which I absorbed immediately. Uh, but then I had to sign a, a verbal non-disclosure agreement not to reveal anything about this book that might like keep you from buying it. So before we go any further, ladies and gentlemen, when this book comes out, buy it. Buy Greg's book, okay? And furthermore, if you don't want to buy a book, check it out in the library to encourage libraries to buy it. I'm a big user of libraries. I will probably check it out of the public library, uh, and that will just induce Chicago's public library to buy more copies. But uh, anyway, uh, as an old journalist speaking to a young journalist, I'm like passing the torch. You did a great job. At least the parts I read. I could change my mind, Greg, when I read the rest of it. I go, oh, my God, this is terrible. But so far, so good. Go ahead. There's a big twist ending at the end where Lori Lightfoot wins. And she gets reelected. She storms City Hall. She she takes it over. And, you know, that's why Brandon Johnson has kept the surveillance state that, that she had in the lobby of City Hall. Because he's worried about her coming back and insurrectioning. That uh, yeah, I uh, didn't want to give the give away the ending uh, to Greg Pratt's book. He it's just jesting, folks. He's just joking. Uh, you know, some people take literally everything that is said literally, uh, Greg. So I just wanted to put that out there. Uh, so, all right, let's uh, let's talk about the book as much as we can, because really the book is like the first attempt to make sense, put everything about the recent Lori Lightfoot what experience uh, in, in one setting and uh, in chronological order, uh, both her emergence from quote unquote nowhere to become the mayor, the four years uh, of her term and then uh, her loss. And uh, so I know you don't want to give away a lot of what's in the book because there's a lot of interesting uh, revelations in the book uh, that we don't want to give away, but let's just, talk about it in just the most general uh, form for terms we have, starting with the title of the book and what sort of your purpose was in writing it. Go ahead. Well, I, I thought that it was a, it's, it was a formative time in, in the city. So when, when Rahm Emanuel steps down, that is the end of an era. And that is, that is uh he's sort of an extension of the daily years. He's a guy that, they hand over the torch to that the established is the centrist Democrat establishment hands the torch to he's going to be tough to beat in 2019 if he runs and he is going to get beat, but he he's going to be tough to beat. Uh, and she decides that she's going to run against him. And when he drops out, the whole power structure is up for grabs. Who is going to be the next mayor of Chicago? Who is going to rule this Imperial, uh, fifth floor, which is what Chicago is more than, um, more than any other big city mayor's job because they control not just the city budget, 
but the park district, the schools, there are different big cities that don't have that much power over everything. The, the CTA, which, you know, the mayor of New York does not have control over. And so you have this, uh, you have, uh, uh, all of this, um, upheaval then you have ed burke and ed burke happens and ed burke's uh or ed burke gets raided and he is no longer going to be the finance committee chair which means that the whole central uh force around the city hall is also going to be uh greatly diminished so you have all of this upheaval and then of course it's a historic four years with riots with covid with with a variety of people asserting themselves, with the with the CTU continuing its uh, its um, campaign to make the city more progressive, and then uh, she ends up losing. And when she loses, the city is still up for grabs. You know, where where she inspires all of this enmity from uh, the far right and the left. And you have Paul Vallis versus Brandon Johnson, who uh, all three them and uh, Mayor Lightfoot, you can't imagine three more different people, period, and along the same ideological plane. So I wanted to document history, and, and you know, I greatly have enjoyed uh, covering Mayor Lightfoot, getting yelled at by her, yelling back at her, uh, and watching watching this period and trying to understand how does someone who won with 76% of the vote screw it up so badly? And I think that there are real lessons for Mayor Johnson and for other people around the around the country. But for the most part, I wanted to just document something that I thought was important and that I enjoyed covering. You mentioned uh, getting yelled at her and yelling back at her. I assume the yelling back part was rhetorical. You're just making a joke. I don't. I cannot believe that you ever yelled at Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Or am I wrong? And you did once yell at her. Well, and uh, yell is yell is a bad term. She's never yelled at me. She has uh, been very stern with me, and I've been stern back. You know, I mean, we've had conversations. We've had um, we've had some very tef- tense conversations in public and in private. You know, there's a uh, um, there's some text messages. She got really mad in the summer of 2020 when Mayor. Um, when uh, President Trump was doing all of sending federal agents to Portland, if you remember this, there was all the chaos with the protests and he ends up sending federal agents. And then he announces, well, he doesn't announce we get wind me and my colleague, Jeremy Gorner, that they're sending 150 Homeland security agents to Chicago. They don't really say why. And we report, we break this story. It's a huge national story for a couple of days because, uh, People were concerned, is Trump going to do Portland and Chicago? And is he going to be doing that elsewhere in the country? And so there, there's all this anxiety around it. And she texts me and she says, your report is likely wrong. And I said, what's wrong with it? And she says, um, you know, uh, I said, what, did Trump change his mind? She says, you assume too much. But, but uh, and I said, well, no, Mayor. Our report is accurate. Trump is sending 150 agents. Do you have more clarity on that? Call me. And she's, uh, it will shock you to know that she did not call me. She said, well, I'm, I'm in the middle of something, so I'm not going to call you, but your report is wrong. And our report was right. They, they sent 150 agents. It was, not as, uh, it was not as scary or as bad as what happened in Portland. They ended up just helping normal DOJ type of stuff. But, um, what was interesting about that is uh, uh, it was true with me and it was true with Alderman. It was true with the governor. It was true with labor leaders that the mayor would send you an angry text and get in your face and you would say, call me, let's talk about it. And she just didn't uh, uh, put on the big boy uh, pants and, and call and say, you know, this is why you're wrong. She just wanted to snipe. And, uh, you know, and so that was an example of us fighting, you know, when when I reported about Anjanette Young, uh, you know, CBS broke the story and I, d- I ended up developing a really good relationship with the CBS reporters who broke that story because I promoted that story because it was it was shocking to me when I saw it that night on the news uh, because the mayor's office, the mayor's administration went to court and said, prevent them from 
airing this video, which is incredible. You don't really see that. You get all sorts of complaining. You get all sorts of issues. But trying to get a court order to block free speech is unprecedented. Nixon tried it and he failed. And so um, so I just thought, wow, that is crazy. And if they hadn't done that, uh, you and me would not be talking about Anjanette Young because as terrible as as that was, um, what they did was they exploded the case by trying to cover it up when they were trying to cover it up. But, but, um, you know, she, she, I asked her, I kept pressing her all week. Why are you guys, why did you guys, um, try to hide this video from her? And she ended up snapping at a press conference and she says, you know, Greg, uh, you know, Greg, you were, uh, he, well, she said, Mr. Pratt's reporting has been reckless and irresponsible, a pattern of his for months now. <laughs> and, you know, uh, I was pissed. And because, yeah. you know, whatever, I'd been beating her up in her, from her perspective. And she calls me up and she, she's, you know, and I, I made clear to her people that she was wrong on the fact. She was wrong on the fact. She was trying to claim we never blocked Angela Young from getting this video. And they did block it very directly, not her lawyer, not CBS, her. And, and, uh, so she called me and we had a very, uh, what she would call frank discussion, what I would call a very frank discussion. You know, she, she felt, uh, and she talked about this publicly. So I don't, I don't feel it's not secret. You know, it's, it's, uh, she was like, Oh, you've been picking on me because of this and that. And, I said, no, I've not been picking on you. I've been covering you hard because that's what I do. And you liked it when I used to cover Tony Preckwinkle hard when I was the county reporter. And I don't cover, I don't cover people hard or soft because I like them or dislike them. I cover everyone hard. If my job was to write about the doings of Ben Jarofsky, I would, you know, you wouldn't like me as much as you do because uh, the job is to is to find out what are people doing. And actually, you probably do less goofy stuff than uh, anybody who puts their name on a ballot. But you get my point. I get your point. All right. Lots to follow up on. I'm going to start with an observation, and it's really not a question. Uh, one of the valuable things about the book, and again, I read three chapters, but I presume this is consistent throughout the book, uh, is the use of texts. And so Greg's come on the show before. We've had a lot of fun uh, uh, talking about the text he's uncovered through his FOIA requests. Uh, so he's been consistent. And now I understand, uh, Greg, that there was a larger benefit to this. This is like incredible background uh, for the book. And it reminds me of, in a certain way, and it's kind of a weird compliment, uh, but you may be offended by what I'm going to say. But uh, Taylor Branch book about uh, Dr. King, which is a brilliant book. Uh, and the, the first one I'm thinking of right now. Anyway, uh, so much of it is dependent on FBI wiretaps. And he listened, the FBI during the, the 60s, J. Edgar Hoover, was listening to virtually everybody of a significance in the civil rights movement. Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Elijah Muhammad. So you knew what Martin Luther King was saying about Malcolm X. You knew what Malcolm X was saying about Martin Luther King, what Elijah Muhammad was saying. About, and Taylor Branch went back and he had access to these documents, these transcripts, and he used them very effectively to support his book. In your own way, you do that with these texts that you've been collecting. I've noticed this. It, like you'll go behind the scenes. So you'll put, you'll stitch it together, part of the narrative. Uh, so we know about Anjanette Young. Uh, yes, we do know about Anjanette Young. We talked about it on this show many, many times. It was in the newspapers. Uh, but when you read Greg's account, that's one of the chapters I read, there's like text from Lori Lightfoot to this person and that person. So that's throughout the book. So another reason, folks, why if you're a Chicago junkie, uh, you should read uh, the book. So shout out to you uh, on that front. Uh, let me go back to let me Let said. me just stop uh, you for a yeah. second. Go. Did you really just compare me to J. Edgar Hoover? <laughs> yeah, the, that's uh, what I thought of with the backhand. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll take yeah. it. I, I, okay. I, I'll take it. Uh, you know, um, there's a, no, it, it's, um, 
being able that, to, that's the, the back kind compliment part of it. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, no, I've always, uh, um, you know, I get the mayor's text. I get the mayor's emails, you know, I'm waiting for batches from mayor Johnson, you know, mayor Johnson is going to be a less prolific emailer than mayor Lightfoot, uh, you know, speaks to their different experiences. Lori was a corporate lawyer. All she does is send emails. Uh, Brandon was a organizer. All he does is talk. And, you know, they're, they're, they're different styles, uh, of, of communication. Um, but I do, and I've tried to do it in Tribune stories too. I think that, that they, they help you show who are these people, how are they governing, what's going through their head. And it's really a rich resource of primary sources. And, you know, there, there, there will be a lot of texts that, that are for the first time in the book, but, but, you know, I've, uh, published a lot in the Tribune as well. And it, it's just, uh, it's really eye opening to see how she talks about people, right? Like she once referred to an alderman unnamed as a dumb, dumb person of color being led astray by Ed Burke. And, and so the speculation was that she was talking about Silvana Tavares because it, it related to the vaccine police vaccine issue and she had um, she had made similar remarks about her being led by uh, Ed Burke. My understanding is that she was actually talking about Alderman Derek Curtis, and that you know Alderman Curtis uh, from the South Side uh, had signed on to a letter that that Burke had circulated, or that the FOP people had circulated, and she thought that uh, that that's who she's referring to. You know, um, they they always get cute about well. She shouldn't have referred to anybody that way. So, you know, we're not going to say who she was referring to. But, you know, um, I don't think that you will ever see Brandon Johnson referring to someone as a dumb, dumb person of color being led astray by by a white guy, you know, because it's it's insulting to Burke and it's insulting to to Curtis. It's, it's it, it would be insulting to Tabaras if uh, if that was it. Incidentally, uh uh, and I don't mean to, to sidetrack this, but I always get a kick out of uh, whenever I think of Silvana Tavares, whenever Mayor Lifa does the thing where she says that the criticism of her is sexist and racist, I think about her saying that Silvana Tavares is a handmaiden for Mike Madigan. And I'm like, oh, you know, what if I called you a handmaiden for corporate interests? You know, what what would you say about that? You know, you would you would uh, say it was racist. And it, I don't think Lori Lifewood is a handmaiden for anybody. I don't, I don't talk that way, but I digress. Yeah, no. Uh, and uh, Savannah uh, Tavares is the, uh, the answer to the trivia question. Who is the only alder person in Chicago history who once was a student of McDumkey? Yes, there you go. You could use that. You could you could stump people at your next party you go to. Uh, Mick was her professor at Columbia uh, in another uh, in a distant past. All right, uh, let me go back to something that you said before you went on that great riff that gave me ideas to ask you further up questions. But the difference in personality between Brandon uh, Johnson and Lori Lightfoot. So I'm writing that down so I don't forget that question. Uh, you said. She texted you after uh, you and Jeremy Gordon's article came out about the 150 Homeland Security agents being sent to Chicago by Donald Trump, that uh, your report is likely wrong. The, my favorite part of that quote is the likely part. So she doesn't even know if it's wrong, but she's giving you a hard time anyway. It's likely wrong. And she's like a corporate lawyer covering herself just in case she's wrong. The thing is beautiful in many ways. But the part I don't get, and maybe you can explain this to me, why is she offended? It's like, I don't understand why she's mad at you uh, and Gorner for reporting that Donald Trump, Donald Trump was the one who did it, not Gregory. What does she care? That That's the part that is probably uh, illuminates something about who Lori Lightfoot is and why she behaves the way she does. Just the fact that she would be mad at that. So help me understand this, Greg. That's actually, that's a great question that goes to the, the psychology of Mayor Lightfoot. So she's, she is a corporate lawyer, more than a federal prosecutor. She's a federal prosecutor too, but she's a corporate lawyer. She's about mitigating risk. She's about the status quo. She's about changing around the margins, but she is very much about um, making sure that the system is protected. She is not a revolutionary. She is not a, 
Um, and she does not like alarmists, you know, she would, uh, you know, during the, the standoffs with the CTU over school reopenings, she would use the term hysterical to describe their concerns about COVID. She would use, um, uh, here's something that that's in the book that, that I always get a kick out of. She didn't like Dr. Emily Landon's speech at the start of COVID. So when governor Pritzker did the stay at home order, and Emily Landon does this big speech about, uh, you know, it may not seem like staying home and watching Netflix is saving lives, but it is. And it was, it was, it went viral. It was a very popular speech. And the mayor thought it was somewhat overwrought. And people on her team called Dr. Landon, Dr. Doom. And Mayor Lightfoot's whole approach to COVID was, um, don't freak out, don't freak out, don't freak out. And she thought that the that the story me and Gorner wrote was alarmist. And she thought that, uh, which of course it was not, you know, it wasn't, um, I think it had a sentence somewhere in there about, it's unclear what the Homeland Security Agency's mission is going to be. But hey, guess what? It was unclear. It wasn't just unclear to us as reporters. Uh, it was unclear to the city itself. And so... Um, uh, but that was her thing is she thought it was alarmist and she is very much uh, nothing to see here. And, you know, early in COVID in February, the CDC does an alert. They say you, we should be preparing to see significant disruptions to our lives. This is before serious mitigations really start happening. But the CDC puts out this notice in late February and she gets mad at the CDC. She's like, oh, they're just they're scaring people. And that's very much her personality. So she didn't like that she thought our story was quote unquote alarmist, uh, hysterical, whatever. And yet, and yet, uh, and the most illogical moment of Lori Lightfoot's tenure, and I'm saying this, I could, I could think of others that beat it, but at the moment, I, this is to my mind the most illogical moment, is when she threw her monumental hissy fit uh, over the fact that, oh, breaking news here, I love this one, Chicago went on the first nice day uh, when we're transitioning from winter to spring, it was a nice day, they flocked to the lakefront in 2020 in defiance of her order, her command to stay at home. Uh, they were flying kites. They were biking. They were jogging. They were playing soccer. They were being Chicagoans on the lakefront. And how did she respond, Greg Pratt? That's it. You blew it. I'm closing down the lakefront. What? <laughs> Man, we make fun of her in this show for so. What a dumb idea, you know. And what an illogical reaction. Y I know you're from Ohio, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. I'm not from Chicago either. But Chicagoans, when the weather gets nice, they go outside after a winter. That's what they do. I swear. You stick around Lori Lightfoot for another 10 years in Chicago, you're going to see it every year, that first nice day. So you see what I'm saying? She doesn't want other people to be alarmists, but she reserves the right to be an alarmist her herself. Do you see my point? I think that, uh, you know, the... The COVID chapter, which you have not read, but the COVID chapter is an interesting chapter for me because, you know, she gets points and she wants points for I acted tough and I was very decisive. And in truth, um, almost every every mitigation, every shutdown, whether you like it or not, whether you thought it was uh, appropriate or not, was by Governor Pritzker, except for the lakefront. And the lakefront um, she kept the lakefront closed long after it didn't make sense anymore. You know, maybe when she closed it down, you know, when she closed it down, a lot of people thought it was stupid, right? They thought that, that it was, uh, it was stupid and unnecessary. Um, at first, and I'm trying to give her some leeway here, some credit, you know, we don't quite know what we're dealing with, with COVID in March when she does that at the end of March. But, uh, pretty soon that summer, it's clear this is you're you're pretty safe outdoors. You know you should be outdoors. That's where you should be congregating. And she refused to reopen the lakefront. You know, long after it made sense to reopen the lakefront. So I've always thought that was a uh, that was illustrative. And she was like, "I'm scoring my points here. This is what I believe." I was pissed off that that people 
were out here when uh, we told them not to be. So we're keeping the lakefront closed. It was pretty wild and pretty, um, uh, that was unnecessary. Oh my God. I, I remember, uh, <laughs> they had the, the beaches were closed. It was so hot. You couldn't go swimming. The lifeguards role was to, they're not to watch swimmers, but to kick swimmers away. So all these Z's, the generation after years, uh, were swimming in the Belmont Harbor. They were like do- jumping into the Belmont Harbor. Like it's like the most polluted section. <laughs> this is a byproduct of this idiocy. Not to close. Okay, I'll give you the, the benefit of the doubt. I'll play Greg Pratt and Mick Dumkey for a moment. To be fair, that's Mick's favorite line. To be fair, we didn't really know everything about COVID, although pretty much everyone knew you weren't going to get it when you're outdoors. But to be fair, okay. But after two weeks, you could have opened up the lakefront so people could go swimming in the hut. No, not, not Mayor Lori Light. Mayors hate to be wrong, Greg Pratt. In that way, they're much like columnists. You know, that's what they have in common. I'm right until you're wrong. Um, all right. Uh, I, no, and I have not. I cannot wait to read uh, the COVID thing because I have so many thoughts about. Uh, we'll bring you back to have a discussion when I get a chance to read it, and you get to reveal. I get to reveal all the good stuff that's uh, in there that I'm unaware of. Um, all right, let's go back to the contrast between uh, Lori Lightfoot and Brandon Johnson. Uh, that you were on an interesting riff there, talking about things like uh, there probably will not be as many texts for you to sift through because Brandon will probably be talking on the phone. Uh, and uh, whereas Lori Lightfoot loved to, to send texts and emails. Um, but market difference early on in uh, how they uh, uh, treat people. And you would know this because you've covered both. You cover Brandon Johnson right now and you cover Lori Lightfoot. Just talk a little bit about just how Brandon Johnson deals with people in a way that's different than the way Lori Lightfoot did. Well, um, you know, uh, Johnson likes to, uh, you know, make the joke, right? And it's not even a joke, but he always says, I got 10 people in my house. I grew up with 10 people in my house. You got to learn to get along to use the bathroom. You got to learn to this and that. Uh, frankly, I'm a little tired of hearing him say that, right? Because uh, <laughs> I've heard him say it. I hear him say it almost every day. Every day I see him talk. Uh, but it is true. It, it, there's something that speaks to that. I think that Mayor Johnson wakes up in a good mood, and I think Mayor Lightfoot wakes up in a bad mood. And I think that you have uh, differences in personalities. And, and and I don't mean them, you know, Mayor Lightfoot is one of the most intelligent people I've ever met. You know, she she is a brilliant woman. She's a, she's a gifted lawyer. She's also a hammer. And, you know, she's going she's gonna to hammer nonstop. Uh, Mayor Johnson is affable. He's likable. He wants to find common ground. Um, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, so he does things, you know, the, the greatest contrast, uh, and it was very deliberate by him when he did his inauguration and he turns around and just like Lori did to face the aldermen and he thanks them for their, for their service. And she had turned around to make them stand up and applaud when she said, Hey, you guys have been corrupt and it's time to end that. And that's, that really sums up the differences. Now I will say that just like Lori Lightfoot, Rahm Emanuel, Mayor Daly, uh, Mumbles, Sawyer, and anybody else that, uh, uh, that, um, the, you know, David Orr, Mayor Orr, the one day mayor, whatever the hell that was. Um, <laughs> mayor Orr. They don't answer questions <laughs> directly, you know, and Mayor Johnson is not that different in that way. Uh, but um, uh, I think that one is very conciliatory and one wants to fight. And obviously Mayor Johnson knows how to fight. You know, he was part of strikes. He's been in a, in labor positions, but I think that, um, so I'm not saying he's a pushover, but uh, not not even close to that. But I'm just saying uh, he wakes up in a good mood and she wakes up in a bad mood. Uh, and I think that sums it up. That's a, that's a good line. And like I always say to my guests, uh, I'll probably be using it. And it's 50-50 whether I give you credit for it. I just want you to know that. Um, <laughs> but it is a good line. Uh, I'm still thinking about that line. It, the um, 
The other thing about Brandon Johnson that I've been notice, noticing, and I'd love to get your riff on this, uh, he's constantly reaching out to people who are against him. And I just saw this. I got a bunch of people sent this to me. I don't know if you reported it. I apologize if I'm, I missed the story you wrote about it. But that he appeared at a, a, Alderman, a fundraiser for Alderman Gil, Gilbert Viegas. Uh, it was just the other day, and people sent me the um, the picture of him there. And so folks who are not Chicago, um, I, I assume most of the people listening to this eagerly listening to this or political junkies. So they understand the significance of Brandon Johnson going to Viegas. But for those who don't, uh, Viegas, uh, is at best a centrist Democrat. Uh, and, uh, Brandon Johnson is a lefty, uh, was a lefty. He's moving over to the center now. Uh, Brandon Johnson supported Delia Ramirez, uh, in the run for Congress against Gilbert Viegas and she uh, beat him. And then Brandon Johnson and the CTU put up an opponent to run against Gilbert Viegas in the last automatic race. So they've been on the opposite sides and in Chicago of the political divide in Chicago, generally the way Chicago goes, if you're on the opposite side, these fights last forever. It's very hard to forgive, forgive and forget. Chicago has got that retaliatory culture or we're trying to try to get revenge beat the guy up i'll never forget you know it's like the quintessential rom sending the dead fish to somebody he didn't like and um but he went to his fundraiser like the, the election where he was opposing him was just how many two months ago three months ago greg i'm like i, I i'm trying to think i can't remember daily ever making up with anyone this fast uh definitely not rom and uh, Lori Lightfoot seemed to hold it. Lori Lightfoot was, came from the same school of grudge holding that my m- late beloved mother came from, which is we hold them for a long time. Uh, love you, Mom. So uh, your thoughts about that, like Brandon going to Viegas' fundraiser, is something that you don't usually see in Chicago politics. Go ahead. Well, um, I mean, that is right that that, that – uh they're strange bedfellows. Viegas is a centrist. Uh, but you know, um, the only, I like to joke that the, that the biggest caucus in the city council is the, what does the mayor want me to do caucus? And (laughs) what these guys want, they want the respect of a phone call. They want the respect of a conversation. They don't want to be in a fight with the mayor. Uh, no matter who they are, they want their issues to be paid attention to and pushed, for some of them, it's as simple as I want an annex at my school. The local high school is overcrowded. We need an annex. Can you make that happen? For some of them, it's uh, I want you to come speak at my fundraiser. Uh, I would imagine Viegas cares a lot about his basic income plan, and there's other stuff he cares about. Um, uh, and that's funny that he's a centrist because he is a centrist, but he's also his signature thing is the universal basic income program that Lori stole from him after opposing it. But, um, uh, so that, that's a big deal. I know Ron, Ron got a lot of heat for, um, for being an asshole, but, uh, and he is an asshole. He knows he's an asshole and he likes being an asshole, but, uh, he, he was smart about those types of relationships as well. You know, he was, uh, uh, you know, he kept, um, Luis Gutierrez against uh, Chewy Garcia, and I know that Louis is, you know, Louis Louis is about Louis, right? But the uh, um, and uh, he's nodding for the record. He's known Louis since longer than I've been alive, I think. But but uh, since '89. Wait, uh, he's he known Louis? For, uh, he knew of him. I don't know if they actually met. But whatever, need to move on from that one, because uh, uh, yes, he was an alderman, so he he definitely knew of him. But I don't think there would be any reason for Louis Gutierrez to have met Rahm Emanuel. Well, I mean, you uh, you've known Louis Gutierrez. Oh, I've known than... I've known Louis Gutierrez since 1982 when he was a cab driver. Okay, exactly. <laughs> I, I could write a book on Louis Gutierrez. So <laughs> yeah, go ahead. So uh, you know, um, Gutierrez is about Gutierrez, and uh, and. Um, and so, uh, but people, people build these relationships, smart people build these relationships. One of the things about CTU that doesn't get talked about enough and, you know, th- they're lefties, there's no doubt about it. They're, they are, uh, card carrying members of the communist party, uh, which I say, uh, with love, 
I'm joking. I'm it's teasing. a jest and a joke, but go ahead. Yeah. But um, they also had a relationship with Speaker Madigan and Marty Quinn. Uh, they, they, you know, people think of Stacey Davis Gates and people, um, establishment people, centrist people, as though she's like some crazy. Uh, she wakes up in the morning, picks out a page of the communist manifesto and rage reads reads it to her children or something and that is not Stacey yeah. Davis Gates she's a very intelligent very uh um thoughtful person you know she's worked in Springfield a lot she knows how to compromise and they know how to build relationships with people like um like Michael Madigan and the CT and uh and Marty Quinn and you know so um Whereas Mayor Lightfoot doesn't quite know how to reach across the aisle in that way. And I think that that's, uh, that's interesting. So, so that was a long way of saying, um, I suspect that Brandon Johnson as mayor is going to have that same type of pragmatism here and now, and it's going to occasionally annoy you and your listeners. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, it happened already. Uh, we sp- <laughs> spent the better part of three days or so talking about it. Before he became uh, mayor, uh, one of his aides gave an interview, I forget with who, and I apologize to the reporter. Whoever the reporter was got a lot of, uh, you know me, I, Greg, I really believe in giving reporters credit, but I just can't remember who the reporter was that uh, Christina Zayas gave the interview with. Uh, and um, they were talking about maybe they weren't going to uh, reopen the mental health clinics after all. And uh, dude, I, I, I read that and I go, already they're selling out, you know, already you haven't been inaugurated yet. Uh, and then he, it's like, he made a point in his speech uh, of saying he will reopen the clinic. So we're all watching. So yes, uh, undoubtedly there'll be some decisions that really irritate uh, lefties in the city that Brandon Johnson makes. Um, so, all right. We already we compared in temperament Brandon John uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot to Brandon Johnson. Now let's go back to Rom and Daly, but mainly Rom. Uh, one of the things that Lori Lightfoot has said with the irritation uh, in the aftermath of her um, losing the election is that how unfair it is and inaccurate and hypocritical uh, to say she hold her accountable for being tough, mean, nasty, fill in the blanks when uh, her two predecessors were tough, mean, nasty. I completely agree with her that uh, her two predecessors uh, were tough, mean, and nasty, and that Chicago elected, went three for three, uh, electing uh, unlikable mayors. Once they were mayors, uh, they were unlikable human beings. Uh, How... What's your take of it? I haven't, if it's in the book, I have not come to that part yet where you talk about temperament and personality uh, and whether Lori Lightfoot was uh, unfairly treated in comparison to, say, Rahm Emanuel. Uh, I don't believe it. I think that um, there were plenty of stories about how Rahm Emanuel is kind of a jerk. And uh, and I'm, I'm using that lightly. Obviously, I was a little starker earlier. And I, I've made this point Elsewhere, I may, I'll make it in the book. You know, like there were plenty of stories about Ram and, and his conduct. There was a story about when he was in the White House telling some kid, some young man who is struggling to, who is nervous and he's struggling to get a sentence out. And he tells him to take the tampon out and tell me what you're trying to tell me. The, uh, um, you know, people wrote about uh, Ram's bad side. The difference is, um, when Rom kicked you, he would also kiss you, you know? And so he would go kiss the boo-boo. He would go make up for it. He would talk to you about your priorities. And Lori Lightfoot will kick you and then not talk to you for, for six months. And in fact, she'll go out there and she kicks you. And then she goes out and tells people that she kicked you because you're an idiot and that you were a big crybaby and you cried like a, like a child when she kicked you instead of taking it like a man. And so, uh, you know, my point is, you know, um, uh, I can't speak as well to the daily years, uh, but um, I do know that Mayor Emanuel had a really strong diplomatic game that he worked on with with people. And um, Mayor Lightfoot does not have a strong diplomatic game. When she's mad at you, it's personal and it's not it, it's 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 really hard to smove over. And that's one of her big five failures. 
All right. Uh, so uh, let's close with a little NASCAR talk. Uh, and this show will drop right around the time uh, that Chicago's in the midst of its uh, NASCAR race will uh, be, um, I guess, the July 2nd. The, that's the first day of, of the race. Anyway, um, I told you this before we went on the air. I All of a sudden, we were having NASCAR in Chicago. We, it's like, I think we, we're under obligation to have them here for three years. So this will be the first, and there'll be two more to follow. And Greg, I confess, when I was talking to you uh, beforehand, I follow these things pretty closely. I can't recall any public debate on this. I can't recall uh, a vote on this by the Chicago City Council. I can't recall the mayor like throwing it out. Hey, wait, maybe this would be a good idea. What do you think, people? Uh, all of a sudden, it just happened, and. So help me out here. Uh, was there a vote on NASCAR? Or did Mayor Lightfoot just use her powers of control over the park district to get the contract signed without any uh, oversight other than people that are directly loyal to her? Well, my understanding is that uh, there's some provision that because it raises revenue and it's not in theory, it raises revenue and it's not a, uh, it's not like an expense type of thing that they could just enter the deal. Rose Escarino, the director of the park district can enter the deal, but this did not, um, it certainly didn't come to uh, the city council and I don't think that the park district board approved it. I think that it was strictly on a staff level. And of course, you know, the board is a rubber stamp and, and the uh, executive director is the appointed by the mayor uh, person. So, uh, no, this was not an example of democracy. Uh, not, not even close. I will say I personally like, um, I like the idea. I think that, I think that exposing Chicago to parts of the country that, that see it as this uh, war zone can potentially open up some eyes. Obviously the way it has worked out is bad. Uh, you know, like we're not getting very much money and there's a lot of disruption. And I think that's all legitimate. But uh, if I'm going to play the McDumpkey to your Ben Jarowski, you know, to be fair, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, I understand where they're coming from. Yeah. Uh, by the way, ladies, I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag and make them keep going well, when he's on the show. Ben, to be fair, then you get him off the show. He's a bigger lefty than I am. Uh, I just want to throw that out there. Uh, to be fair, Ben. Uh, anyway, uh, you are very fair in closing uh, to Lori Lightfoot. And Mayor Lightfoot, I'm going to tell you this. You are probably going to groan and moan when you read the book. Okay? But as a guy who spent part of a good chunk of the four years, definitely after Anjanette Young, criticizing your uh, regime. Uh, I got to tell you, you were very lucky to have Greg Pratt write the first draft because I believe you were very fair to her. Greg, you bent over backwards to give her her point of view every step of the way. Uh, you didn't hold a grudge against her for because she was so mean to you. So you're definitely in no way in kinship to my beloved mother who's getting another mention. <laughs> I'll tell you what, the Jarofskis can hold some grudges, Greg. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Uh, so good work. Uh, really, I really mean that. It's, I, wait, I could change my tune when I read the other check chapters, but for the three chapters I've read, good work, well-written, fair, and at least in the two chapters I read, very fair to lefties. And f for a mainstream centrist journalist, I can't thank you enough on that front because lefties get we get treated in this town like we wake up every morning and read not Mark Stalin. We're reading Stalin the first thing in the morning before breakfast. I'm going to read a chapter of Stalin. Uh, and uh, at least the parts I read, you were very fair. Uh, totally. You treat them like they're human beings, uh, which I'm, always catches me catches me off guard. So tell folks again, you didn't do the name the last time. Give the name of the book. When is it coming out? That kind of stuff. Go ahead. Well, the book's coming out in April. Uh, the city is up for grabs. How Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot led and lost the city in crisis. Wow, April. Damn, I thought it was coming out like in the fall, but it's April. Um, well, we'll have to have you on like like 
monthly installments to get people fired up for the uh, uh, the city is up for grabs. Isn't that the quote, uh, Rosanna quote? Don't I have that right, uh, Rosanna Rodriguez? Yeah. So uh, the mayor, you know, Rosanna, the mayor had ordered the bridges up and and a curfew. And Rosanna was concerned about the civil rights of people stuck downtown. She said there are people stuck downtown. They don't have a way to go out because the CTA has stopped and the bridges are up. And the mayor said, anyone who is still downtown is a looter. And Rosanna said, no, no, uh, I know people down there. They're not looters. They're trying to get home. And they're arguing. And the mayor says, Rosanna, tell them to head north and head west. The city is up for grabs. And, you know, that was her irritation of, you know, you're bothering me with, uh, you're bothering me with your looter friends. Uh, and, you know, the city is up for grabs. I'm doing what I need to do to stop the issue. Um, and I, I always thought, I thought that the line spoke to the broader political moment uh, that, that we're still in, quite frankly, the city is still up for grabs, but the, um, Obviously, at the moment of the the civil unrest, it was really up for grabs, and it spoke to her lack of control of the situation. Yeah, man, that first line uh, about uh, anyone downtown is a looter that like takes me back to daily shoot. What, what was it? Uh, shoot to wound, shoot looters, to maim, shoot to maim, and shoot to kill arsonists. Uh, the first mayor daily youngsters, first mayor daily. Okay, not baby daily that you all know. First mayor daily. Uh, all right, Greg Pratt, great job. Chicago Tribune reporter, thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Always my pleasure to be on here. That's great, Greg Pratt. I'm Ben Drowski. Take care, everybody. 